This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live where we are going to talk bass fishing and 2023 Bassmaster Elite Series qualifications. We have two of them in the house. Sitting to my right, the Central Opens Points Champion, none other than Bradley Hallman. Bradley, thanks for taking time to come into the studio. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me in. We also have a overall qualifier in the 2023 Bassmaster Elite Series, and that would be none other than the man, John Sokup, live from his new Bass Tank headquarters. <laughs> is it in, it's up around Tulsa is what I always say, but it's like a new yeah. deal. That's why all the trophies and stuff aren't in the background yet. But John has a event next week, was home for like four days after he qualified, so he is... Uh, He's remote, but John, thank you for jumping on BTO. Excited. Should be a good right. conversation. Uh, today, we're going to get into a lot of stuff. We're going to go through, uh, obviously, the initial uh, impact of Bradley requalifying for the Elite Series. Third year trying to requalify after you left the FLW Tour. Uh, you went Elite Series, a couple years off, FLW Tour, then three years of the Opens back on the Elite Series. John, you went one year of MPFL, and then you just ran the gauntlet in your first year of the Bassmaster Opens, qualified in the overall uh, at the last event at Sam Rayburn. So we're going to get each of your takes on uh, the overall season, some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the themes that you guys had throughout the year. And then I really want to get into the pressure of that last event at Rayburn uh, to get the job done to qualify for the 2023 uh elite series season so bradley you've been doing this longer than john and i have combined uh so we'll we'll <laughs> we'll t go to the seniority there uh what is it what does it feel like to wake up now three days knowing that that your next competition cast will be on the Bassmaster elite series i don't know you know i mean it's been such an uphill climb for all of us you know we're all in the same house we room together we share information um, we travel together i mean we're like one big family right the three of us plus andrew and um, to have two of us in one house is is really special and uh, i would like to have all four i would and i know you guys are going to keep coming and you'll get it done next year but dude it's it's uh it's been it's been really nice i know that Every morning I wake up, it feels good to have accomplished that goal. John, same question to you. What does it feel like the last three mornings waking up knowing, dude, I'm on the Bassmaster Elite Series? Man, I guess this is the non-fun side about me. Uh, all I've been thinking about is work, you know, what I got to do to get prepared, what I got to do. I feel like the work's just begun. I do feel like a monster monkey's off my back 
Don't get me wrong, but I'd be called a gorilla, John. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm the gorilla. That's a monster. I'm the gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I had a gorilla monkey, whatever. It's off my back, and and but now I see what's ahead, and I just see a bunch of work. I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. I love to catch a fish, but I just got that uh you know that determination right in front of me right now. It was interesting. Um, it's the way the way in. We were all kind of in the late flights at at Sam Rayburn, and uh, out of necessity, I was sticking around to pick up my check. But I also wanted to to make sure see if you guys were in. Andrew uh, had to get home, take care of the kid. But uh, I was sitting there watching. And I remember you said something, and I I feel like Bradley, you've been there, you've done that. It was more of a relief for you. But John, you actually said. You know, it, it was kind of cool. We all had to take Brad's boat afterwards back to load it because he put it at a different launch ramp, and you kind of shook your head. And I've never seen you, I guess, kind of reflective like that. You're always go, 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 accomplish, 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 intense. And you were like, man, this is surreal. You're like, it's it's yeah. over. It's it's surreal. Like, has it sunk in yet, or do you still have that kind of surreal feeling about it? It's a little, it's a little numb. There's a little surreal feeling. I don't know how to explain it, guys. And, and I will tell you that little boat ride that we had back, uh, that moment that Hank, well, uh, came down to tell Bradley first that he was fully confirmed, uh, and you know he had to follow all the rules and that kind of that kind of warning. There, we're standing next to each other. We're about to take a ride in the boat in the dark. Right? It's like nine o'clock at this point, or eight thirty, or whatever. Pitch black, dark. And then all of a sudden, those Elon Musk lights came up, came through that yeah, I've never seen before so in my cool. life. Yeah, that that's pro- that's just going to be one of those fishing moments that I don't think I'll ever forget, guys. It's pretty. It's a moment that you you got all three of us, and we'll be able to share together. And like you said, that boat ride back was probably the most peaceful boat ride. What five minute jog to the other ramp yeah. that I've definitely had all year. So. I did not know that existed, and and it is. So <laughs> here's how it went down. So like Brad, Brad came in and they're doing all the points. Well, explain what all. Well, we had waited. We had Brad. waited. So they had the top ten meeting. We had to wait till everything was over and finalized because, man, the points. Believe it or not, even down to the end of day two, like it was very complicated, and a lot of people wait uh, waited. But the only one that it was obvious for was me that I was in. They mm-hmm. couldn't confirm John. They couldn't confirm. Uh, there was a guy in uh, Niggemeyer was in the top three, but two of the guys that were also potentially going to be in the top three were in the top 10 days. So depending on where they ended up, Niggemeyer could be out or could be in. Um, so they couldn't confirm anything. I was the only one that was confirmed. And then um, we're standing around in the dark and to find all this out. And then I had not even loaded my boat because I weighed in the last It's flight. just beached. It's just beached. And everybody's like, what are we going to do? Well, we've been cooking at the house every night and, uh, we're out and have been cooking for us at the house every night. But anyway, we hadn't been out. And I was like, guys, let's go to the stump. We're right here. Uh, your truck was already there at the pavilion. Your truck and boat was at the pavilion. And I hadn't even loaded mine yet. And I put in over twin dikes. So we all just got to take a nice ride. But that that satellite, what is that? It, that is the Elon Musk SpaceX Starlink satellite. It is the future. And it's like... It looked like we were in the future. It was like a string. It looked like Santa's sleigh, except it was like about (laughs) 200 lights. And it was just literally like kind of traveling across the night sky at at Rayburn. And there's not a lot out there in East Texas anyway. So there was not a lot of light pollution out there. And it just just was a beak, like just beaming as it went across the sky. Yeah. 
Uh, and I mean, I'm like sitting in the middle on the little chair next to you and you guys on either side, both the elite series qualifiers, um, and kind of having seen how it went down throughout the, the whole year and the stress and pressure, uh, that both of you were under, because I mean, let's face it, like Andrew and I, yeah, we felt stress and we felt pressure, but it was a different kind. You know, we were out of it for the points. There was no way we could, we could make, we could win one to, to make the, uh, to make the Bassmaster classic, but in the overall points, this is something that, um, and I know, John, you felt it really early because you got out of the gates really hot and were leading the overall points for, for a majority of the season. But uh, it, it was just crazy how you could feel the pressure every evening and after every day of practice and the competition. Like, John, you were acutely aware of what you were fishing for and the pressure that you were under as the season progressed. And I don't want to say it got uncomfortable, but it, there was a palpable sense of pressure kind of a, around around you and around your boat every day as you got closer and closer. Could you feel it? Did you know it was there? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I haven't had very much success in life unless I was mad. So sometimes you just got to get mad. I got mad earlier this year, and I stayed mad. Uh, it didn't help me. I had some mistakes this year that we can talk about later, you know, but uh, I definitely had to go into a zone to make sure that this thing happened at the end of the year, you know, and uh, I had to make some phone calls on the drive back and I still owe some people some apologies for cutting, you know, I don't have much conversation piece. Like it was focused on catching a bass. That was it. Listen, you don't know anybody in pot. I mean, I, I did the BTL for 15 years with Mark Jeffrey. So I know th thriving on anger. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. all about that. Brad, you seemed a little bit more mellow than John throughout the year. Uh, do you think that's just a matter of, of, uh, experience and kind of been in those situations no I, I think it's a difference in our personalities um i would like to have a lot of what john has i've told him that before um i've stayed with some of the greatest anglers in the world um at some point in three or four or five of them throughout my career uh, shared houses with them uh, roommated with them and john is wired the same way they are um the exact same you know he pushes um, he's always trying hard. Um, what night was it? That, what night was it? He came in and like it was a practice night. Tuesday. So he comes in on Tuesday and he's just furious because he's not getting the results out there on the water that he he wants. And the guy sits out there and works on tackle until literally eleven o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night, something like that. it was late. And uh, I'd gone out and checked on him, and it was late. And I was already in bed and had gotten back up because John was still out there with the lights on. And that kind of drive is different. And I only see that in, like, the best of the best, you know, that I've stayed with. You know, the Brian Schmitz, the Jason Christie's, the Scott Martins. Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that work and have that fire that he has. Okay, I, I want to kind of piggyback off that, and we'll go into your the final event and how it went down for Rayburn for you, John, and then we'll go to Brad because you were both in a little bit different scenarios. John, you were in. You had a little bit of a cushion. You're a math guy. Throughout the year, you were always doing the numbers, and you knew that you didn't have to, as, uh, to take a, a phrase out of Bradley's, you, didn't, you knew you didn't have to freak show him to make the elite, but you also couldn't stumble because you, you had some guys coming behind you. But uh, – you're out there working on the tackle, and one of the one of the things that you said that I thought was very interesting was I'm taking everything out of the boat that is not in my wheelhouse and that I have not caught a bass on. And if I'm going to qualify for this, it's going to be my way doing what I like to do confidence wise. Talk a little bit about guess you got some. Talk a little bit about that strategy going into it because I think Brad's was similar too, but 
I mean, you had 45 rods out there, and then all of a sudden you're out there, and you're like, I'm getting rid of this, I'm getting rid of this, and you just started taking all sorts of stuff out of your boat, and I was like, holy cow. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, <clears throat> the three or four events before Rayburn, uh, I had good day ones, but day two I bombed. And, and, I, and I just felt like mentally I wasn't in the right place. I know I wasn't in the right place. I was. I had a lot of negativity going on, and just a lot of uh, a, a lot of doubt, I guess, or just you know, we had to talk about all the things that you put on risk and all the time that you invest into it, the time away from your family and stuff like that to not catch a fish. And I needed to find like my peaceful place. I needed a happy Gilmore to thing, you know what I mean, and find a happy place. <laughs> And I, I knew how to catch fish, man. I'd heard reports of guys that weren't able to catch fish at Sam Rayburn. I could catch 50 fish a day if I wanted to, uh, but they weren't the right size. And so that's what that was, was a lot of practice in figuring out how to get a bigger bite. And I really only found one way that was conducive to something I've done in the past, which was throw a spook. You know, I've qualified for the force woodcut throwing a spook. I've won a lot of tournaments throwing a spook. And it's a big, you know, it's a big fish bait. So um, that was one of my big fish baits that I was going to keep versus having like five other different kinds of baits, whether it was a swim bait or something else that I'd never actually proven in a tournament. So I stuck with the, you know, my jerk bait setup where I could go in live scope and put a limit in the boat pretty easily, 10 to, 10 to 12 pounds, and then, you know, get a bigger bite uh, by switching. So that's what that was, was eliminate and get getting the chaos out of my head so that way during the tournament when those thoughts come to your head, those negative thoughts that have kind of were attacking me in the last couple of events, I can fight them off and just stick with what I know to do and, and stick with what I know I have confidence in, what I've proven. You ended up uh, finishing 22nd in the event, 11-11 on the first day. You were actually bubble boy for a check uh, in 40th place and then back that up with 13-13 on day two, 25-8, finished in 22nd place uh, and qualified in the number six spot in the overall by roughly 30 points over seventh because of double qualifiers. You were the third qualifying position uh, in the overall, so that's how you ended up on the Elite Series. On day two, I actually saw you on the water probably around one or two, uh, and you seemed uh, still very intense, but you did a lot of your damage on on the put up or shut up day, I guess, which would be Friday. Uh, you seemed like you kind of went out and took care of business early on that day. Yeah. Well, what happened was, like I said, I wasn't, I hadn't been in a good mental place for, for a few events guys. And, and I knew it. And I, and I just really, I guess I was getting in that rut, you know, when I was really afraid I was giving this thing away. Uh, you know, I had a hundred point lead for a long time on everybody. And then to come down to where I have to be fortunate enough to, that the double qualifiers allowed me to qualify. I'm happy now, but man, it wasn't a good place to be in. And after day one's weigh in, I thought I was going to need 15 pounds to be competitive, to stay where I needed to be to guarantee qualifying. And I limp in with 11, 11. I'm really kind of disappointed. Uh, and then I look at the stats and realize I'm in 40th. I'm only a couple pounds out of like 15th. And the guys that needed to catch them, didn't catch them, you know, to catch, you know, to bump me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now listen, you're on Rayburn. Someone could, Logan Matuso it and I'm in trouble the next day. Uh-huh. Adjective. But yeah. Day one, I I didn't have a fish in the boat. I eleven thirty I had a fish one fish in the boat, one tiny one. I'm running all my brush piles on my set, and it's just not working for me. It's not connecting. I'm sure guys are catching them. And about noon I catch my second keeper 
and I've already ran from one side of the lake all the way up to the other, and I'm just jumping holes trying to find active fish. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go out and do what I know how to do to just catch a limit. And when I did go to my limit hole areas, you know, I jumped two or three of them and they weren't even acting right. When I finally came on one that was, uh, I actually first fish was a five pounder. I lost it. And then I lost a three and a half pounder. And a lot of people would go really negative at that point. But what was exciting for me was that I'd never seen fish like that in practice doing what I was doing. So then I realized real quick that I had an opportunity to actually catch a big bag, not just a limit bag, but catch a big bag. So I caught a three and a half, and this all happens within 15 minutes of time. So I ended up catching all my keepers there. The big fish kind of disappeared, and I went back chasing some bank stuff um, with the spook. And that was that 11-11. Well, when I came in, like I said, on day one, I realized how close I was. The piece came, man. I knew that I could go out and do that on day two. And, and I was, those guys are going to really have to catch them behind me to catch up to me. So day two fishing, I didn't have the pressure that I feel like Bradley had. My pressure was on me on day one. Uh, day two, I really had a pretty good peace of mind. So I went out from the beginning of the day to the end and caught fish. So. Fantastic. All right, Bradley, you were in a little bit different uh, scenario. You had, <laughs> you go into the points, you had uh, Nick. Uh, okay, who was around you? You had Nick LeBrun tied with Nick LeBrun who is absolutely on fire. You had James Niggemeyer from Texas, who is an absolute stud uh, on the water. You had a number of anglers, so you were you were out. You were out of the Elite Series, right? Going into Going it. Going into it. You were like six or seven points out. Yeah, I think it was nine points out, actually. Right, nine and, uh, and, and you dedicated a lot of time to practice, but what was your mindset going into... <sighs> Uh, going into Thursday's first day of competition? Um, mindset of Thursday. Like Wednesday night. I had uh, I had spent some time down there. So when we got done with the Red River, right, and finished up there, um, Castledine, who's one of my lifelong best friends, called me and said, Bubba, you got to get through this year, and you're here. He's like, I'm fishing the tournament, so, like, I don't know how much I can help you, but I can help you with the grass stuff. So, like, you need to come down here before we come back to practice. So, I went down, and we spent a day together on the water. Um, we went to the other arm of the lake that usually neither he nor I fish at all. And we kind of did that so that, you know, we could fish freely, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talk about his hybrid hunter and, you know, what he likes and what he looks for. And um, we had a decent day. It wasn't great, but it's how I like to fish. It's visual stuff. You could see it with your eyes. It's shallow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, your wheelhouse. Yeah. And so I kind of bought into that in practice, and I stayed with it. And it was not good. You know what I mean? Like, it was never spectacular. But I could get some bites. And I had seen a couple of glimpses of decent fish. Not giant fish. Just decent fish. And I was betting on the fact of the recent tournament results from the things that had gone mm-hmm. on down there. They looked very much like day one and day two looked. Even with Latuso, they look like that. You know, you've got one guy that freak shows it out of a brush pile. They pull up and they catch them all in one spot. And then they never catch them again out of there, ever. So do I want to go look for that needle in a haystack and 220,000 acre lake of brush piles? Or do I want to bet on what I do every day? So that's what I did. 
and I just went to the bank and I felt confident that I could catch some fish. I actually had them going in two different areas of the lake, two different sides of the lake. I wanted to go to the weaker side day one first. It was my short day. It was closer to take off and maximize my time. And it worked out. I mean, I just stayed on the bank and just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. 15-7 on day one put you in 10th place. And afterwards, you know, they ran the numbers and it's like, holy cow, Brad, you're you're leading the points by like 10 or 15 places. But you came in and I have not seen you that jacked up in a long time. And it will be out on your uh, YouTube channel. 100%. But, you know it's crazy you talk to everybody and they're like dude there's a fish there's a moment there's something that happened that always sticks with them through their career whether it's uh uh, you know a skeet reese moment or even go a boy duck it with the classic fish moment on that you look at like a parosnik on on toledo ben with the bed like that crazy something happens and you had one of those freak show crazy moments on day one that really pushed you over the edge didn't you so going into the event um I knew for a fact that the grass bite was not just going to put me over the top. Like I could get some bites, but I had not seen anything much over three, three and a half pounds. And that was a big one for me. So I knew that I was going to have to take some risks. I actually talked with John about this um, during uh, the event as we went on. I had to take some risks and I had had a few bites on top water on a spook that were definitely different fish than the grass fish were meaning they were bigger but it was very inconsistent and very hard to get that bite but dude i knew i had to take some risks i knew i did i knew i had to i knew i had to swing because i couldn't just sit there and catch 11 12 pounds like everybody else kind of like what we've been doing you know to stay in the points overall in the year and play it safe i had to take risks if i was going to make it so at 11 o'clock i didn't even have a limit but I thought, you need to bump some of that stuff and give it an hour or so and see if it can happen. And, dude, it happened. Um, giant fish for, for me at the time, which was only a five-pounder. It's not a giant for Rayburn, but it looked like a 12 when it hit. Um, <laughs> it exploded. Um, it, and, and it goes down to just like, guys, y'all are going to have to watch this on, on my YouTube video when it comes out. It, I think everything will drop this week. But, um, golly i've got this fish all the way to the boat fought it it's played out like it's done i've got her there beside me and and i'm I'm about to put my hand up underneath her and she decides to make another little run and she runs and there's a brush pile there and my coingler screams don't let her go in that brush pile and i mean the second <laughs> he says it my line just gets tight and she's in it and hung up and it is a heartbreaker but anyway you'll have to watch the youtube to see the end of that but it's a uh, it's it's quite it's quite a show. You're not going to describe it and then drive more people to your YouTube channel to watch it. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible, dude. It was incredible. And the crazy thing. So is, all the hope and everything comes out of the air, but then minutes, and I mean full minutes later, the excitement possibly comes back. And you also have to understand if you've been watching Brad's YouTube and, and listening to the recaps on the show throughout the year every tournament you've had a heartbreaker and it has not gone your way whether it's uh, a mistake on your part or something that's just uncontrollable in the universe in the middle of this one (laughs) i bring that up in the heat of oh really while you're in the pickle while i'm in the pickle i'm like damn it this is ridiculous (laughs) yep uh john execution wise you mentioned that you lost a couple on on the uh 
on the first day uh, that would have really helped and, and, and pushed your weight up. But throughout the entire year, looking back on it execution-wise, and I would imagine it would have to be pretty strong considering you qualified in the overall averaging 46th place. Did you boat a lot of key bites throughout the nine events that, that could have gone 50-50 and you managed to get your hands on them? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I, when you're when you're doing any kind of trouble hook fishing or like jerkbait fishing or anything of that nature, you're going to lose fish. And I don't, I don't subscribe to the going around telling everybody about how the fish you lost, you know, and kind of complaining about it. I do because uh, <laughs> because my my theory is you're going to lose fish, so you just need to get twice as many bites as everybody else. So you know, the ones you lose don't don't matter as much. And like those two fish that I lost on day one, yes, they would have helped. Yes, they would have felt good. But they were re- weird fish that actually taught me about how the fish were behaving. The fr- the five pounder, I was reeling my jerk bait past a tree because it was only like ten foot of line out left, and he short lined me. He jumped out from the tree and grabbed it. So when I set the hook or pulled into it, he immediately jumped, and so I don't know that he even had it completely in his mouth. So that's just an odd thing, but it kind of taught me how they were biting that they were needing that bait moving. You know, what I mean the big fish. And that the big fish were hanging on the trees, like really, really tight, where I couldn't even see them um, on my live scope. So that, I used that to my advantage to kind of help me out through the rest of the, of the tournament. Um, the only fish that I really lost that I can think of right now that would have given me a monster amount of points was the Red River Day 2. I think I only weighed in a couple fish or maybe even one. It was It was a really mm-hmm. bad day for me. But I had an absolute giant in the pads just own me. And what happened was I was in there with big, heavy braid, big, heavy weights. And I had four or five different flipping sticks of lighter, you know, progressively getting lighter on the way down. And as the bites went away in the day, I picked up my kind of my finesse rod, if you will, for, for pads. And, of course, the one bite that I get on that thing is just a monster. And when I mean, he owned me when I set the hook he had already had me doubled over and got me in the pads. And so that one fish right there did haunt me for, I thought that there's a potential that I was not going to make the elites because I didn't land that one fish. So other than that, I think the season was pretty good. I mean, the fish that I lost, you're just going to lose some fish. So uh, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, I want to run through briefly, Brad, your uh, central division that you qualified in a key moment in each tournament that allowed you to win the points championship. And then, John, uh, a, a, just a quick key moment, and I'll give you a chance to think about it during the break. In each of the nine events that you look back and say, that was key, that was key, that was key. Uh, that allowed you to qualify for it. So very exciting BTL today. A lot of live viewers on the show. And then following that, uh, we will open up the Sunline hotline. If anybody wants to call in, ask Brad and John questions, congratulate him, whatnot. Uh, the Sunline hotline will be open after that. So it is BTL on a Tuesday, October 25th with 2023 Elite Series qualifiers. Bradley Hallman and... John Sokup, we'll be back right after this. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS, now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99, and we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart, our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar, from chirp, side-scan, and down-scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP Reveal. Offer ends August 31st. 
The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear APCO. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. All right. Welcome back to BTL on a Tuesday with Elite Series Qualifiers, Bradley Hallman and John Sokup. And before the break, I wanted to go through and just do a key moment because I think in any championship run, and that's what you guys had, championship runs. Brad, you you won the points division. John, uh, anytime you can you can finish that's in the top. <laughs> you know, and I, I have to give it to uh, to Bass. One of the things that they do, uh, they have done, I feel like, in the past couple of years is really listen to their anglers. And two years ago, uh, there were some situations with anglers who fished all of them, and they paid uh, $16,200 in entries. They're $35,000, $40,000 in. They travel around the country, and I believe it was Sam George. They finished, like, fourth yeah. in the overall, and they went down the uh, division list instead of the overall for the double qualifiers. So the double qualifiers went through the division list, and a lot of the anglers said, man, that's, you know, we're, we're giving you three times the entry fees. We're dedicating four months of our lives to this. It should be the opposite yeah. way around. Yeah. So they changed that for the double qualifiers, and there's only, I think, one or two last year. So they changed that for the double qualifiers for this year. So it just went one, two, three in each division. Mm -hmm. And then all the double qualifiers from those divisions went to the overall. So it actually ended up going sixth down in the overall. That's an example of, of BASS listening to uh listening to the anglers doing what made sense to me and to a lot of other people and john was a beneficiary of that this year then they obviously listened again and now they're doing the nine overall for the next year but that's how john got in with the six so i just want to go back through uh and and you know 35 points may seem like a lot but when you go down to it over the course of nine events yeah. that's literally like one fish 
That's one, like 30 points is one fish, especially when we're going to places like Cherokee and, and Florida and Oneida, where yeah. weights are just absolutely stacked. When you have 200 plus anglers, it yeah. doesn't take much to move 30. So let's start off uh, in Florida this year. Uh, John had an eighth, you had an eighth place finish on uh, the Kissimmee chain, Toho, key moment in that event. Quickly here, because I mean, wait, wait, heck, we could be here for six hours then. Yeah, uh, it was moving. I think that's going to be a little bit of the key theme was moving. I moved off some fish to find some other fish and uh, went into Toho, which I hadn't practiced and, uh, and, and found them at the end of day, uh, the end of day one, caught them really good and put me on the fish to start with for day two. Uh, Cherokee Lake 60th place. Hmm. That was one of the top 10. Yeah, no, I just landed on the wrong size fish. I think I think all the fish went up to the bank, and uh, and I wasn't there. You know, a lot of guys caught them that hadn't been catching them, and I was catching them so good, I didn't. I, I just missed out. I overlooked. So I don't really have a key fish on that one. Third place on the James River. That was a big event for you, John. Huge event for yeah. you. Yeah, if I was to bottle up uh, how to fish a tournament and to keep that with me for the rest of my life, that was it. I fished that one. I knew I was fishing great in that one. Um, uh, I started out. Bed fishing on day one, uh, had to move to throwing a spinnerbait in a completely different creek on day two. And by day three, I was running completely new water with a crankbait on the main river. So it was all about decisions there. Um, I had some big fish. I had a couple six pounders that I caught on beds. I had a six and a half that I caught on a spinnerbait on day two. And I had like a seven and a half that I caught last cast or so of the day on a crankbait. Uh, you know, so like. Uh, there was a couple 20, I think I had a 23 pound sack one of those days. So that was just, like I said, man, that was the tournament. Uh, I need to, uh, I need to bottle that and keep that with me, man. That's how I need to fish every year, every, every event. Best decision-making of the year, in my opinion, based on what I know, came at Ross Barnett, where you actually finished 62nd, but a lot of people don't know how good that 62nd was. Yeah. So. Uh, I went into an area on day, uh, well, to start with, I had a little shad thing going on the, on the riprap with a spinnerbait and, uh, day one, I roll in, I jump one off and then it just goes dead and I don't have very many fish. Don't have anything going on very well. I go into a back in area where I'd punch some fish up and Charlie Hartley was actually back in there and he, uh, he allowed me to come in on him and he left, uh, and dude, it was a piece of, it was an amazing thing because it allowed me to catch a little bit of a limit on day one, but day two, I tried to duplicate what I did on day one. I couldn't. And the last half hour of the day, uh, the, I looked up the sky, the sky starts rolling, the wind starts blowing. I thought, and I don't have any fish in the live well. I don't think maybe one or two little ones. Uh, so I ran back to the riprap and ran down the riprap and I caught four keepers in 15 minutes and filled my limit out. So that was definitely a, that was definitely a good decision on that one. And then you grinded out a 46th place finish at Oneida. Yeah, Oneida, you know, I caught him, I had him, uh, I had him on a jerk bait. Um, on day one, I was catching him really, really well. And I expected to do the same thing on day two. And I rolled out there and they just disappeared, man. I really thought that uh, they sunk to the bottom. They sunk away from the rock pile. They sunk down away. It was like the pressure got to him. So I did squeak out a limit on day two, but it wasn't near what limit. I think I had 17 pounds or 18 pounds on day one. So. Uh, just keeping and stay. Oh, at the end of day two, I went ahead and went out to, uh, 
to the rock piles out in the middle of the lake and I and I dropped him. Yeah. I shackled him. I, I I drifted a drop shot, which I've never done in my life, and uh caught a four and a half probably the last fifteen minutes. Oh, that uh, was massive. Two, so that, that did help out quite a bit. Uh biggest grind of the year, upper Chesapeake Bay. I idle past you with half an hour left to fish. You have your hood up, your head down. You don't look back, and I tell my co-angler, this is not good. I look at John. John gives me this. Zero. I said, oh, my. I check in. Then you come in with, like, two for almost six pounds, which is a crazy good comeback in the last hour. Yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> day one day one at Chesapeake was no fun. I'll put it that way. I ran, I ran up. To go fish for smallmouth, they weren't biting. I went to my grass fish, they weren't biting. I was running down to go all the way to Baltimore because I had some fish found in some docks, and I got pulled over. Uh, I've never been pulled over in the middle of the tournament, dude. I was so stressed, I was about to get a di- ticket and di- get disqualified. They gave me a warning. I guess I'd ran. I was running the middle of the lake, but I'd ran too close to that no fish zone. Aberdeen proving grounds. <clears throat> yeah, and the wind was blowing. They held me for about an hour, and the wind was blowing really, really strong too. And so. Uh, when they let me go, they gave me, you know, they gave me the warning. They were pretty upset. I guess they caught some guys fishing in the Aberdeen Proving Ground, so they were pulling everybody over. So it was just bad timing. But uh, like I said, I was way out in the middle of the lake, guys. It wasn't even like I was running the shore. And we were but told I guess we could was... drive through that too by the tournament director, correct? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it was it, it was a warning and all that. So uh, I just decided to go back to around takeoff area. I had zero fish, and I picked up a chatterbait and I started catching them. I caught a limit on day one. It wasn't a big limit, but I caught them. And then uh, day two, I thought, well, I'm just going to do that all day long, and surely I'll catch a pretty good tag. Well, by the time you saw me, I don't know what time it was, 2 o'clock or so, I had zero fish in the boat. <laughs> and, and, and so I was trying all sorts of stuff, and then I, I went back to it with like 40 minutes left. I came across a post on a dock, man. I threw up there, and a four-pounder jumps on it. And uh, my co-angler goes nuts. He's a young guy, and it was pretty cool. And and literally, I went past that dog and decided, you know what, I'm going to go back. And I, so I picked up a flipping bait, went right back down that same dog, and caught a two pounder on that. And then I never got another bite the rest of the day. So yeah, that, those are huge. Those points. two right there, you don't make the elite series without those, without that. Or you don't make the elite they, series without the four and a half at Syracuse. Yeah, I think. Or you don't I make the they, elite series without <laughs> the 15 minute flurry at Ross Barnett. Yeah. Wow. There, uh, yeah. This whole the season was the whole season now. All right, uh, 64th at the Red River. I don't know if there's much to say. Just an absolute grind there. I feel like you thought you you were really going to catch him there, and that that you thought you could do really well heading into that one, and it ended up being a salvage job. Yeah, well, two of the guys in the top ten I fished right around, and and one of them had a better draw on day one, and he and I watched him catch him right in front. I watched David Guest catch him right in front of me on day one, and uh, he was doing something. Must have been doing something different, but he was also sitting on the juice where they were at and my mistake day one i did good i mean i had decent weight on day one i only had four fish but i think i had 10 pounds and so i was feeling pretty confident when i bradley and i've talked about our mistakes on on red river that we're going to help each other hold each other accountable for next year so these are all good lessons going into the elites for me to be honest with you but day two i end up staying in that same area thinking i could grind them out because i watched david catch 12 pounds right in front of me and i ended up catching like two little fish and i lost a giant but that was just a that was probably the downturn of my fishing. That's when I probably started fishing pretty bad. Uh, 
I feel like you really started feeling the pressure at Hartwell. You finished 86 there at the beginning of the year, <clears throat> knowing uh, forward facing sonar in the fall. I thought that was going to be a home run for you, and you ended up finishing 86th. Yeah, but once again, I think I was in like 20th after day one, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I I caught 13 pounds or something on day or 14 pounds on day one, something like that. I rolled up, and they were just jumping all over my stuff. And day two, I just went back to some of the same areas, and the fish were still there, but I just couldn't get them to bite. And so, uh, I, the rest of the day was just a scramble fest and me fishing really bad. <laughs> that was when the pressure started getting to me, feeling like I was throwing the, the thing away. And I mean, I, I listen, I was reeling one back on a swim bait over 80 foot of water in my line breaks. I, you know, I had like three different, you know, break offs that day. It was just one of those days where it was all falling apart and I could not get the wheels on straight. And to be honest with you, that was probably the moment I, I was throwing this whole Elite Series dream away. I really felt like I, I was on a downhill spiral. It wasn't good. Uh, and then we obviously talked in depth about uh, what went down at Sam Rayburn with the 23rd place finish. So when it was all said and done, a 46-place average, 6th place in the overall, and a 30-point cushion onto the Elite Series. That kind of shows you guys, you went, you, you go through that. I mean, shows you how big a top 10 in a 200-plus boat field is. You know, 225 boats in those in those first three, and you rack out an eighth place in Florida, a third place on the James River, and then a 200-boat average in the rest of them. Uh, so, I mean, even though you're finishing 46th or 62nd or 64th, you're still in the top 25, 30% of the field. So uh, your biggest key this year was a couple top 10s, no bombs, stayed in the top third of the field uh, in, all, uh, in all of the events, uh, and that was your ticket to success. It sounds right. <laughs> all right, Brad. We're we're just going to do your three events because you fished all nine as well. Yep. Uh, but it became kind of apparent following the red uh, following. Well, I guess you were in it in the overall too for the majority of the year, but following Hartwell, Hartwell put the you you knew that uh, that all your eggs were in the Central Division. So the Central Division was a very interesting one, and I think a lot of people looked at that Central Division and went. Ugh. Ah, yuck. Just a lot of grimy fisheries at mm-hmm. grimy times of the year, and you knew that it would be a hunting and pecking. And, and a lot of people pointed to and said, dude, this is a Hallman schedule. This is a, this is a, a schedule that Bradley Hallman should do well on. And it was Ross Barnett in Mississippi, the Red River, and Sam Rayburn. Yeah. Uh, and you kick things off with a bang, at Ross Barnett and kind of did exactly what you wanted to do. But if I remember correctly, it wasn't all roses. You made a couple key decisions there that proved critical. Day one was not, was not in a bang. Um, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. I was somewhere just right outside of the cut, uh, the money cut, you know, um, I don't remember exactly where we were, but I had had a pretty decent practice. It wasn't spectacular, but it was doing what I like to do, right? The fish were spawning, post-spawn, pre-spawn, all in that mix. And, um, and it was pretty cool. So I ended up fishing around a lot of guys day one, and um, we all caught them. Some caught them better than others in our area, but we pretty well had smoked it. And day two, I went into it pretty open-minded and started there, and uh, it just felt like it was done and finished. And I had an area that I had not been to yet in the tournament, and honestly, I only had a few bites there in practice, but it was just right around the corner from where I was. And so I slipped over there, 
What was unique about it was it was my biggest bite by a long shot in practice that I had shooken off. And I slipped over there and started fishing around. There was no one around. And I was like, hmm, there must not really be much here. You know how you think. And I start flipping around. And I just got one of those bites that it was a giant fish to begin with. It was over seven. Um, I landed. But it was one of those bites that I love to have where I call it's that turn on the light moment. Like it flips the Mm -hmm. light switch. And you see a lot of things all of a sudden really quickly that you did not see before. And this, this is how it works for me. And it, it just opened my eyes to a lot. And I knew, I knew exactly what that fish was doing. I knew exactly why she was there. I knew exactly why no one had found them. I, I understood a lot really quick from one bite and I just took off from there. I had about three and a half, four hours left to fish and just tried to catch as many as I could. Um, caught a couple more big ones, um, ended up with 17 pounds or something and jumped me way, way, way up. Um, I don't remember where I finished, but it was, it was, it was a good day. And uh, one of those bring you where you need to get type days, you know, uh, red river, especially on day two, you had to make some critical decisions. And I actually saw you running around on the red river on day two, which was shocking to me. So red rivers, when things kind of changed, um, it really became late in the season for me, um, and I'm just being honest here. After some things at Mississippi had happened, um, some things at the Red started happening where I truly felt like in my gut, I mean, I felt this, guys. I felt it in my bones, and I didn't talk about this. I didn't even talk about it with y'all, but I felt like I was going to make it. This was going to be the year. I didn't know how. I didn't know why I felt that way, but I had faith that it was going to happen um, all the way through, I started, uh, the red river. I ended up putting on a dock. You guys know how I ended up on the dock. You know, I parked my boat, had a slip. I yeah, paid yeah, for yeah, it yeah, at night, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I didn't go to the hotel with y'all with the trailer. I left my boat there and, uh, Clay Dyer ended up having the stall next to me. Mm-hmm. And we were visiting the first morning. It's dark. We're both there early. Um, boats are out there starting to float and putting in and stuff. And Clay and I were talking, and he was asking me, you know, about this and that. And he said, you're doing really good in the overalls, you know, or you think you're going to make it this year? And I told him, you know, really trying a lot of pressure. And uh, I asked him, I said, hey, man, in the dark, I said, lead us in prayer, just you and me, before any co-anglers, before anybody else comes down here. And and, and the power of Clay and, and his life, it did a lot, man. And it 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 inspired me, I mean, deeply, deeply that that man comes out there and does what he does. Cause it, it's, it's, I wanted to get it done. And then day one in my usual, this is how I've been all year. If I pick a starting spot, it is guaranteed that it sucks. And so I picked a starting spot that sucked, uh, hit the red river. And, uh, but my second spot did not. And I got in there, but there was already some guys in there and they had been catching them. I came too late. But fortunately for me, one of the guys that was there was Andrew Upshaw. And there was two or three of us coming in, and Upshaw just said, Hallman. I said, yeah. And I didn't know they'd been catching them at the time. I mean, I was just trying to get in there, you know, politely without pushing mm-hmm. people, getting in anybody's way. And where I really wanted to be was past where all the boats were, like past where everybody was fishing. Oh, really? Yeah. Like way back in there? I wanted back in the back to the right, like as far back as you can mm-hmm. get. And – 
Upshaw was like home. I was like, yeah. And he was like, get in here behind me, come behind me. So like he had the front kind of, you know, you know how you kind of position and there's different people fishing. If I was going to run over somebody, I, I would have to put my boat on where somebody was casting to get there. And Upshaw allowed me to come around and get behind him and go to the back. And um, it was huge, dude. I got back there and caught him. Uh, I told him that night I was super appreciative of what he'd done for me there because he didn't have to do that. Um, great friend. I mean, I know he's my roommate, but just really appreciated it. And um, that was a big deal there at the Red River, no doubt. That that was the big thing because that gave me that big bag the first day to be in the top ten. Yeah, and then uh, you made some good decisions on day two late. Didn't you pick up a couple yeah. late on day two? Because I know you came idling in, and I was in that area, and you're like, what's going on? And I'm like, it's dead, and you idled back. And then the next thing I know, you whip the boat around, and it's not easy to get back where we were. No. You whip the boat around and say, I ain't doing it. I'm not going down back there. And you left. Yeah. It reminded me of Okeechobee um, when I won there in 16, how that place looked in the back of the Red River compared to how it looked when we started fishing it. It was just two totally different places. And at Okeechobee, you just couldn't get a bite after it had been destroyed by boats and wind and weather. And the same thing had happened in the back of that. It was a different ecosystem altogether and I didn't want to. I didn't want to waste time, so I I turned around instantly and idled all the way back out of that thing. That was that was a good decision. It allowed me to catch a few more fish and get those points that that are so you know important. All right, and then uh, and then obviously Sam Rayburn. And then which, Sam, yeah, we talked about that before. It, uh, it would have to be that. It would have the the biggest turning point at Sam Rayburn was not day one. It wasn't that big fish. Um, the turning point of day two was the point because i pulled up this is it dude everything's on the line i mean and i know this it is one or one thirty in the afternoon and i've got two fish that weigh i'm telling you they weigh three pounds maybe 3.1 i mean little ones and um i see john and um i, fi- I fired up and ran over towards him stopped to see how his day was going john was having you know he'd accomplished what he thought you know he needed um, you could tell in his demeanor that he felt good and um, things were going his way. And um, he was really kind of looking for another big bite, weren't you, John? You were really kind of looking to really take advantage right. of that opportunity where you were sitting early in the day and really maybe capitalize and move up even further. Whereas I'm in the other boat. And uh, John asked me, he said, are you spinning out? And I said, no, dude, I'm not. I'm really good. And this went back to that gut feeling that I had that faith thing and it, I, I can't describe it so I left John and I went on to the back of this area that that, that we were in and um, started fishing and I caught a 374 which would have been my third fish which is a big fish for me out of the grass I mean it is it's a big one and it was kind of like that moment that I told and tried to describe that happened in Mississippi it was that light switch moment and it was like it's here it's right here I have to catch them right here, right now. And um, and I had faith in it. And, it. and I caught what I caught, and it, it gave me up around 12 pounds, which I knew would give me a fighting chance in the points. But, you know, it could still not work out depending on who caught what. But it allowed me to then go do what, what I wanted to do, which was go throw that topwater and try to catch a giant. And I did that for the last hour and a half. And it didn't work out. But as I was riding in at the end of the day, and I'm coming across, and I drive by Nick LeBrun. He's out there on the main lake on a pile or something. 
And and I'm thinking as I'm going to weigh in, you know, I, I don't know if I have enough, but what I do know is I have given every single thing I have in my soul to try to be able to finish as, as good as I can. I, I don't have any energy left. I have nothing left. I've given all I can give all year long. And if it's not enough, it's not enough. But I had that faith that it was going to happen this year, dude. I did. I did. Like, I never backed off of that. I felt like it was going to happen. Uh, Sunlight Hotline is now open if you want to talk to Brad or John. Uh, Brad, you can hear Brad answer you. Uh, you won't be able to hear John just because he's uh, far away, and we'll have that figured out next month uh, when we change it. But the Sunlight Hotline, if you want to talk to, congratulate, ask a question to Brad or John, go ahead and ask your question, and then uh, we will answer it off air. That number for the Sunline Hotline is 405 two. Five three five five four three. Go ahead and call in now if you have a question once again or a comment uh, or just want to congratulate. Four zero five two five three five five four three. While we're waiting for a call to come in, key bait. Anything that you guys rode, John? Was there anything that you kind of rode throughout the year that when you look back on it, you said, "Man, that really when it came down to it, I, I reached for this and it got me back on track." Probably a jerk bait. I probably caught more fish on a jerkbait this year than, than most people did, I would guess. Multiple scenarios on it, or was it all utilizing LiveScope? I mean, I'm going to utilize LiveScope as much as I can with with a jerkbait. You know, that's kind of the thing I can do is I can control that thing a lot a lot better, you know, whether I need to go faster, deeper, slower, you know, all, that, all of the above. And I can actually read the fish's personalities a lot more with a jerkbait, you know, with a drop shot, you can throw it in front of them and they'll follow it down or they won't, or they'll eat it fast. You can tell personality a little bit on that, but with a horizontal presentation that you can also make go vertical, you can tell whether they want to go up, where they want to go down, where they want it fast or slow. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I can just learn a lot more about the fish's behavior. It may not be the lure I'm going to use to catch them, but I can learn a lot more about their behavior mm-hmm. with it. So, all right. Uh, good deal. Brad, I will get your answer to that right after we go to the Sunline Hotline. Hi, you are on with Matt, Brad, and John. Who are we talking with? Steve Myers from Virginia. I just want to congratulate both of you. I just got a question to ask. Make sure that do you guys have your sponsors all lined up? That's a great question. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and we'll take that uh, off air then. Um, sponsorship for next year. Uh, obviously a very... Uh, Quick turnaround time, less than four months before the start of the Bassmaster Elite Series season there. Uh, Brad, we'll start with you. Well, for me personally, um, do I have it all done? No. Um, But, you know, like we've talked about, you know, I've got quite a few right now that I've worked with for many years. And um, so it's not like a rookie coming into uh, this situation where I've got to work and work and work. so I wouldn't say that I have all of them lined out, but I definitely have, you know, my core group, which I'd be just fine with riding right now, uh, personally. How about you, John? <laughs> well, uh, I've got the bass tank, and, and I wouldn't be able to fish professionally if it wasn't for the bass tank from the beginning. I never had a chance to fish nationally until the bass tank came along. So I've been taking care of there. Other than that, obviously, I think there's a lot of more riding it and expenses to be able to make this a long-term, you know, uh, a long-term deal, you know, I think that working on sponsors is going to be something I don't think we're going to have to be able to stop on. going to have to continue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Once again, that's Sunline Hotline number 405-253-5543 if you have a question or comment for John or Brad. Uh, while we're waiting for another call to come in, Brad, your uh, kind of go-to bait uh, throughout the year. Like I said, you had a crazy good year, and it's amazing to me. Uh, you know, you look at, at John, and John just was able to avoid those 90s and 100s and crack a couple top 10s. You didn't have the top 10s, but you had 101st and a 96. Otherwise, you were more consistent, 57th, 56th, 14th, 68th, 56th, 26th, and 16th. It was just those two little little bobbles that dropped you down there. Mm-hmm. But throughout the season, particularly the Centrals, anything in particular that you uh, reach for in crunch time that seemed to kind of be a theme? Um, BFE, without a doubt. Um, when things would get tough for me, I pick that flipping bait up, and it's just my comfort level. It's my comfort zone. Um, gets a lot of demons and thoughts out of your head, and you just kind of go to work and let the fish tell you. Um, there's never been a point in my fishing career where that flipping stick doesn't work, and BFE on the end of it for sure is, was, for me, a definite uh, strength. All right, uh, Frankie Jr., uh, is on and says John's jerkbait organization is sick. I will agree. Uh, when it comes to organization, John, I think one of your biggest strengths is your ability to stay organized with everything you have on and off the water. But your in boat organization, while it may look chaotic while you are in the process of it, uh, it's pretty amazing the way you have everything so neatly organized. Uh, do you think that's a big asset in being able to 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 remain mentally calm on the water? Oh, I have, yeah, I have to. I mean, I am way more calm on the water the, the night before if I've gone through and touched everything. I don't care if I touch it and move it back and put it in the same spot. Like, just to be engaged to know exactly what I have in the boat, why it's there, what the purpose is. There's just no random thing in my boat, even down to the colors. So, you know, my colors are pretty simple. I only have, like, three or four different colors that I rotate depending on a certain situation. So, um there's no need for me to 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 waste time scrambling you know i can get right to what i need celebratory jacob wants to know what the celebratory dinner was at the stump afterwards that was probably uh the most relaxed i've seen both of you in about three years i'm hoping i shot a little video there i'm hoping it ends up in my youtube video i'm hoping (laughs) hoping both of you had steak though oh yeah we had definitely had steak we had steak and you know, one of the things I want to say, Matt, one of the coolest parts about this whole thing is I'm a Bradley Hallman fan. So, you know, we're talking as if we both got to qualify, but then there's another portion of this, just being able to be a part of Bradley qualifying and supporting Bradley and to see his, you know, dream and passion come true back to him after everything he's gone through. Uh, Dude, I just want to, I literally said, I'm going to order whatever Bradley orders, and I'm just going to sit there and watch. <laughs> I'm going to watch Bradley, man. I, I just, it, it's, it's really awesome to get to see Bradley. I'll tell, tell you something we can share with the listeners that we haven't even talked about amongst ourselves. Um, we stay in the same house, and we share a lot of information. Uh, some tournaments end up being more than others, depending on the situations. Um, towards the end, for John and I, right, we're both really good friends. We're roommates. Um, I'm sponsored by the Bass Tank. It's my flagship sponsor, the title down the side of my boat. Um, towards the end, we're both really pushing to make the elites, right? Me and John both. And it was amazing how we were able to work and navigate that communication and sharing information without stepping on each other's toes, 
respecting each other's individuality, but yet still trying to help each other. Did you notice that, John? And then by towards the end, we were like a little bit less and less because like, what can I really do to help him? I don't want to hurt him. I don't want, you know what I mean? But yet we're still kind of fighting for one spot, right? I mean, it could be one spot, either you (laughs) or me. And uh, we didn't want to hurt each other. We didn't want to, you know what I mean? And it was, a, it was cool how, and we haven't talked about this, no one. So any, everybody listening, this is the first time we've talked about it. And I really kind of noticed it a little bit more as we went down into, especially by Hartwell and then Rayburn, um, staying in the same house and for us to be able to compete for that same spot, but not hurt each other. You know what I mean? And still be pulling for each other, but yet our conversation wasn't at the level that it was earlier in the season, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely got more exact, more honest, you know, not more honest, but more in depth, I guess, is the word I would use for more clear about what we're talking about. And, man, I mean, from my point of view, it came from learning that you literally have a guy that's sincerely rooting for you and vice versa. And that if I was going to lose and not make the elites, I wanted to lose to Bradley Allman. I didn't want to lose to somebody else. And so uh the best scenario happened man we actually helped to lift each other up to where we were both able to qualify and i mean dude it's something to celebrate honestly i mean it just shows you how how teamwork can you know really really benefit i mean you don't you never want to succeed at anything in life at the demise of somebody else you know you always want to be able to be the best fisherman you are and that you beat the fish that allowed you to beat all the other competitors not that you sabotage somebody else you know it's nothing like that so right right all right we're gonna take our second break of the show and we come back i want to dive into something if you're comfortable talking with it brad you said something uh after you qualified that was kind of surprising to me but in the same time not surprising you're you're in a different position like i said than i am than john are family four kids you've been there you've done that you've got a lot of hardware on the walls and this was your third year of the opens and you said something that i thought was really interesting i don't know if you know where i'm going with this i don't Okay, I'll just ask it, and if you're not comfortable going with it, we won't. But we're going to take uh, take our uh, final – well, I don't know. We might take another break. Who knows how long we're going to go here. Of the show, BTL, uh, on a Tuesday, Bradley Hallman, John Sokup. I'm Matt Pangrak talking about the, uh, the 2022 Bassmaster Open Seasons with two Elite Series qualifiers, Bradley and John. So we'll be back right after this BTL on a Tuesday. Get the best patterns back by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable. Versatile. Rigid and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different 
And really the truth is it's in the details, the little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.exxonlures.com and check them out for yourself. The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36-ton multi-directional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy-touch, soft-feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the matte sexy shad just a really different looking color for a crankbait so you want to give them a little different look that matte sexy shad is definitely the one to go with all these colors are available in the original little john and the md combining one of the most popular hook styles with gamakatsu's beefier superline offering the gamakatsu superline offset round bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The Round Bend offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-aught, 3-aught, 4-aught, this is the most durable worm hook, designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success. And that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Welcome back. Great show today. You guys are really giving up the juice. Elite Series qualifiers, Brad Hallman, John Sokup. Uh, and I wanted to get into to something that you alluded to that kind of surprised me and kind of didn't. But first, we have a fun hypothetical question from our good friend Clay Williamson. He goes, I got a hypothetical. <laughs> Say Matt and Brad make the final day. 
Matt is in fifth. Brad is in eighth. This feels like an eighth grade math question right now. <laughs> Matt is in fifth. Brad is in eighth. Eight ounces separation, and Matt is two pounds out of the lead. Brad needs to jump one spot to qualify. Does Matt zero? I'm going to tell you right now, no. I'm going for the win. Yeah. I'm 100% go for the win because I would have had a chance to make the Bassmaster Classic then, which for me would be just as big as qualifying to be in the Bassmaster Classic. And I think Brad wants to earn everything that he would absolutely have. So I would have no problem finishing second and hope that Bradley beats me. But I'm going for the W in that scenario. Plus, not to mention, 10th pays about 6000 and 1st plays about 50000 Yeah. I, I, you could ask John and I both and ask that question, put either one of us in there, and we pretty much know what Matt's going to do. Well, we know the answer there for Sh- sure. Shockingly, you know, I, I try to uh, – I'm, I'm pretty mellow on the show and whatnot, but I'm, I am competitive. Very. It does upset me when I don't catch him, and I do get excited when I do catch him, and yeah, I do yeah, have yeah. a drive to succeed. Yes, I don't know if that always comes across in the show because sometimes I'm brutally honest about what I feel like my shortcomings are. Try to share that with the viewers and listeners because I know that there's so many that feel the same. And one of the problems in the industry is you have a lot of people who don't talk about what they don't know, their shortcomings, their issues. Like when we do the battery stuff, like when we do Mm -hmm. all that, there's just certain stuff that I think everybody expects everybody to know. Well, if you don't know it, you don't know it. And then you get to a point where you're scared to say, I don't know it because you're so ingrained in it. And you've seen that with me, but I'm very competitive. You are. I mean, if guys don't realize you're competitive, I mean, of the four guys in the house, you lead the charge. Believe that or not. No way. Yeah, there's no way. Dude, you push when you get on your stuff. You're, you're, you are as competitive by far as anybody in the house. Including John. I don't see. I don't feel like that. But I have an inner inner drive. You got it. it All sh- right. It speaking shows. speaking of inner drive, Bradley. There's a lot of people who have gotten to know you over the past three years. You started your YouTube channel, became more of a regular on BTL, embraced the social media, interacted with the viewers right. and listeners. Right. You've even talked about how ironic it is that you fished the Elite Series for five or six years. No one knew who the hell you were. You, you win two FLW Tour events. A couple people know who you are. You start a YouTube channel, start interacting with the viewers, and then now you're like, he's like, I go. He's like, I went to the Classic. Everyone knows who I am. He's like, what the heck? I've won all this. I'm over a million dollars, and all I got to do is... Yeah. But, but it's because people have gotten to see your personality. You're doing it. You're three years into the Opens. You mentioned this. Four yeah. kids, a family, two FLW Tours, Toyota Series, four years on the Elite Series, six top tens on the Elite Series, million dollars in earnings, career as a plumber. And we're like, dude, like Brad's grinding. You you get get done with this year and you just casually say, I don't know if I could have done it again. And yeah. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And, and you just kind of, you're like, yeah, I called my wife. I talked to my wife and I think this would have been the last year that I could have done it. And yeah. then, then it passed and we hadn't talked about it again. Are you comfortable talking about it now that it's done and over with? Yeah. yeah. All right. It was just, you know, I told you that I I knew when we came over here three years ago, when Scott and Todd and Andrew and I left where we were to come over, I knew what we were getting into. I'd even told my wife, you know, you made a, you you brought this up that I told you early on. I told her, I said, this may take three years. I I don't know, but this is not going to be easy for me. Number one, because I've never, ever been a very good points angler. Um, I'm, I'm not good at it. I'm good at dropping a hundred and something place finish. Now I can come back and win a derby the next week, but I can drop a hundred and first out of a hundred and one people. Um, I knew it would be an uphill battle, but dude, it has been more 
of a grind than, I mean, I'm not saying it's more than I thought, but after three years of enduring it and enduring it with my family and what people don't understand is, so like the difference between the opens and elites or any of the premier tour events, they're scheduled on the best lakes at the primary times of the year in the spring. The opens are scheduled in not the premier bodies of water (laughs) by any means. 225 boat fields take their toll. No off-limits as far as practice time. These, these, these places that are not good to begin with are getting beat to death before a tournament ever starts. Um, lots and lots of co-anglers, and, and, and there's a lot to deal with, with different, and believe me, I've had plenty of experience dealing with one, and, and I don't mean 99.9% of co-anglers are wonderful, wonderful, great. But there's always that 1%, and they can have an effect on your day drastically, whether you catch fish or not, or whether you make the elites or not, or whatever. Just, just it, it doesn't have to be they're throwing on top of you. It can just be they're, just like we talked about happened with a pig, you know, a guy in the back of his boat. We had a coiner literally lying to our friend, telling him, because he wanted him to go shallow, telling him, well, I've practiced with Hallman, and we caught a bunch of biggins on the bank. This is during a tournament, and the guy calls me that night and he's like did you practice with this guy and i'm like no i mean that is vengeful but he's trying to get into his head you know to get him to leave offshore to go to the bank anyway that kind of stuff goes on um there's just a lot of variables that that play in with all this and it was it was the biggest thing i haven't spent the fourth of july with my family in three years because we're scheduled on Labor Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July, all the holidays Day. for three years. Father's Day. Three years I've missed all that with my family. Doesn't happen with those tours because they schedule them so those guys are home during that time. Anyway, you combine all that with a wife and four children. And my wife said two months ago, she came to me and she said, if this doesn't work out this year, are we really going to do this again? And I remember I had already started kind of thinking down that path. And I, I don't know what the answer would have been, Matt, if I hadn't have made it. Would I have done it again? I, I, I don't know. I think that I would have. I think that, you know, with the nine being the system next year, you know you know how it is. And and trying to, you know, by the time January rolled around, I'd probably be ready to giddy up. But at the moment, I like, like I said earlier, I had spent every bit of ounce of energy and given everything that I had for three years, and I was exhausted of beating my head against that wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, like I said, you're in a little different scenario because this was the first year that you fished all the opens, but you also took on the uh, NPFL schedule this year. You also have four kids. You run the bass tank. You have several other business ventures. Was it wearing on you, and were should you have, have not made it? Were you ready to pony up and do it all again next year or was this kind of a one and done and reevaluate where you're at i i would have had to reevaluate what i'm doing it's it was it was becoming it's a big burden this year was a big burden and um you know i i think sometimes i take a lot of pride in my mental strength uh but it was getting to me yeah my fishing was going downhill you know things like that and so i really needed this to happen this year more than more than what people know and my wife needed this to happen too you know what i mean so i think you see a lot of people go well it's just a fishing tournament and if you don't catch them it's no big deal but the way that i look at it it is a fishing tournament and there are things in life that are more important than a fishing tournament 
but it's a career path and a goal that you chose to accomplish. And whether that's in the corporate world in an office where you're trying to meet deadlines, whether you're a, a truck driver traveling across the country to try to, to get the miles to support your to family, whether you're trying to get a job promotion, you have to take the fact that it's a it's an activity that a lot of people view as a leisure activity and something that is fun and a supplemental uh, escape from their real job and put put the glasses of this is the job this is the goal that we're that that you guys that we're all trying to accomplish and that 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 same stress even though it is on the water and it is in a boat uh is just as real as any other job or occupation where you are trying to move up mm-hmm. accomplish mm-hmm. become stable financially benefit from um and i don't think that that a lot of time in the fish you go well it's fishing so what you didn't catch him but i mean it's it's real life. Like there's dozens of other people's family. And this is across, this is across the elite series. This is across MLF. This is across everything of these guys who are trying to do this. There are, there's so much, uh, uh, like it affects so many tentacles and so many other people that also give up a little part or a big part of their lives for you and for us to be able to Mm -hmm. go out and chase that. And, there's a very small percentage that actually get there. Yeah. So it's really cool that you guys actually have gotten there now. And then it all starts over again with a whole new set of challenges. <laughs> yeah, that's really kind of yeah. how I wanted to put all this in a bow and wrap it up. Um, since I was on here today, I, I wanted to be very clear. Um, and, I, you know, we don't have no stage time in the opens, so there's no thinking. But this has been a three-year grind, and I have had a wonderful, wonderful group of sponsorship from Big Bite to Gamagatsu to the Bass Tank, Phoenix Boats. I mean, the list is long, and I am so appreciative of all of them for everything that they've done to stick this out with me because it was a scary, scary gauntlet to leave a national tour to go back to a regional to try to qualify to go through this. And I was given advice from some of those people that this might be the direction to go. And I appreciate falcon rods all of them so much for everything that they continued to stay with me even through the tough times um it was very hard very very hard and i appreciate all of it very much and um i started this goal had nothing to do one of my best friends called me the other day dude and he said i know it's a big accomplishment and you should be proud of it and you should cherish but don't forget that your original goals when you left had nothing to do with qualifying for the elite series nothing it had to do with win some blue trophies, and try to win the Classic. And he is 100% right. And John and I have talked about that, and uh, we're going to get our minds wrapped around that over the next couple of months, and we're going to go try to make some noise. John, your support system, uh, sponsors family at home too, uh, kind of echo what Brad said? Oh, man. Yeah, there is zero way that you can do what we're doing in a healthy with a healthy relationship unless you got the support. My wife taking care of four kids, taking care of four businesses when I'm gone, you know, behind me, she's, uh, man, she is 100% the backbone that helps me do this. And, you know, the NPFL, you know, uh, if it wasn't for the opportunity to fish the NPFL and the couple key wins that first, you know, that first year, uh, to bring sponsors on board with me to help grow my, you know, sponsor portfolio. Uh, those guys that are risked everything they have at, at a business venture to create another league, 
is what's propelling me to. So from my family to other people making risks like the NPFL to my sponsors, um, you know, the, the guys at the Bass Tank themselves putting up with me being on the road 16, 17 weeks out of the year uh, and holding down the fort for me, every single one of the guys at the Bass Tank uh, have been a part of this, you know, qualification. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've got I've got a lot of sponsors, but, you know, Yum, well, Pradco, I signed with them at the beginning of the year. So Yum and Booyah coming on board, uh, that's a developing thing that I'm really excited to this winter work with and to see how that translate going to an elite level. A lot of these sponsorships that I have, I feel like they came on board with me, like in my youth as a fisherman, you know what I mean? Like early, and I'm not young, but you know what I mean? Early on, before, a lot of guys have to make it to the elites before they get these sponsorship deals. And somehow I was blessed to not necessarily have to. Um, you know, Sunline, AFCO, I've been with them for a couple of years. Um, my uh, my Alpha Angler Rods, uh, that was a really neat deal, the way that developed with Jake Boomer. And to have, you know, Brandon Polinick was one of the first ones to be texting me while I'm sitting there waiting for the points to see if I actually qualified. To have guys like that behind you, you know, rooting for you and pushing uh, is, and I don't even have words for what it means, but it means everything when it comes down to it, to know that you got that kind of support system to push you forward. Because to be honest with you, while we're talking about all the good and the celebration, man, there is a lot of demons out there trying to attack you and pull you down constantly. And I went through a lot of that this year, a lot of negativity. And at, as the year ends, I look back and I'm I, during it while I was going through it, man, I was getting bitter and upset and angry. And I'm like, you know, you ask that big question, why, 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 why? And now looking back at it, I'm like, you know what? I'm glad this all happened the way it did before the elites. And I know, Matt, you, you were there right there with me as a friend, you know, uh, lifting me up during that saying, man, this is going to benefit you down the road. And while that happens, a lot of times you're getting the right advice, but you're just like, you don't want to really hear it. But now looking back in hindsight, man, like I, I know what to prepare for and the negativity that's there and that surrounds and that will attack. But also what that does right here with inside your head and how my tournament results have been affected by that negativity, not outside outward negativity. Yes. But the negativity that I've allowed inside mm -hmm. here, you know what I mean? And, and so Bradley, like one of the first things I did, what was it Saturday, Bradley, we were driving home and I just called Bradley and asked for help, man. I said, Hey, listen, here's my fault. My fault is when I get attacked, you know, I attack back way too hard. So I try to, I try to do that by just holding it in. Well, I become, you know, I become negative and it affects my fishing. So I need help. You know, I need help focusing on the goals, keeping positive, And I need, I need someone that, that can be right there that knows me well enough that can call me out and just shake me loose from it. Because what's going to happen is I'll end up bombing a tournament if I don't. So <clears throat> all the, when you ask about the sponsors and support system, without all that to fall back on, I mean, I'm just a bumbling mess, and I collapse, and I don't make this thing happen. I mean, it's the, it's the fact. So, Well, it was crazy to me that it was the first time I realized it. I've seen it before, but I've never really been kind of a part of it. And I feel like I was a small part of it since I fished it and traveled with you guys. Um, I guess I haven't really seen it before. I was going to say maybe at the... Uh, at the Bassmaster Classic like banquet where everyone before and they've made the classic, but there's still a bunch of ball ball of nerves because they've got the tournament coming up. But this is one of the few sports activities, whatever you want to call it, where there's a lot of people and you have a lot of friends in it. And 
we're away from home a lot and, and traveling, especially, you know, there's not been much return on investment on the Bassmaster Opens. And like, yeah, I know a hundred of the guys. You see them every time. Ah, there goes Joel Willard. There goes, oh, yeah. you know, Brad Allman. There goes Chad. You wave and stuff, but you're all worried about your own thing. Yep. There is no time with no hidden agendas, completely relaxed, not worried about where you can get together and celebrate fishing and friendship and being together and hanging out without a sense of tension about it because you're all trying to figure out what's going to happen. How's it going to go? Where am I in the points? How is this going to work out? What's going to happen this year? I do feel like, and that's why houses are big to me, and it's also why cooking in the houses are big to me because I do feel like that that is the one time that we at least sit down, break bread together, and there mm-hmm. is that relaxation and trust between the guys that's sitting at that table. Do y'all not feel that way? No, a hundred. Is that not like the one time during an event? No, like, I agree. And, and and we didn't do it all year, but you do something with your family where you sit down and you do a high low high. Yeah. And Brad, you know, when we were kind of struggling as a group this year. Uh, you know, we did it at Oneida. We did. And we did it at a couple of other events. We didn't do it at every event, but Brad sat down. He's like, hey, this is something I do with my family. This reminds me of home. Are you guys open to this? And you say, what What do you say? You, you, everybody goes around the table and says a high of the day and they're low of the day. Yeah, and, and we s- try to do two highs and one low. And some of them are, are funny. Some of them are brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are really bad. But uh, But that helped me the times that we did that. Yeah. It helps everybody. It helps everybody understand where everybody else is, too. Yeah. Yep. It's good stuff. All right. Um, here's what I think we're going to do. I'm going to let you go, John. I know you've got an NPFL event coming up next week in Florida. Yep, Toho. Fifth start in the, the season and end the season in Toho. Fifth in the Angler of the Year points over on the NPFL. That will be streamed live <laughs> to wrap up their season over there. <laughs> the killer. So, so if you would like to watch John Soka fishing live again... <laughs> Head over to the MPFL uh, to close out a crazy year for you. Uh, like I said, I, I know you got a lot. Uh, Bradley and I, after every event, have kind of gotten together. We talk about what's going on, so we're going to put a wrap, a bow on that. This is our ninth of uh, ninth event, uh, kind of talking about what went on. Definitely wanted to bring you in, but uh, a lot of uh, congratulations, a lot of well wishes, and a lot of honesty, and that's that's really key here, uh, regardless of of good or bad. Um, and I think that's a great picture behind the scenes. So thank you both. Uh, and thank you guys for uh, taking time to listen to this and watch this. Much appreciated, John. And congratulations, dude. Thank you. I mean, like, dude, <laughs> you're all the freaking Elite Series, man. Yeah. I remember yeah, I we were the, fishing the Bass I the Nation. Email, I got the email yesterday, so I guess it's official. Remember the first time we were in the Bass Nation? We were in the back of that weird creek on, uh, on Keystone. And I didn't really know you, and you didn't really know me. Remember that narrow creek way in the very back of it? We were both there. That was the first time we ran into each other. And then we ran into each other again, I think, on Fort I Gibson, Conawa, Grant. I like, Grant. we kept running into yeah. each other. And you were like, dude, yeah. we, we must obviously fish the same. You know, maybe we should start working together a little bit. Um, and you were incredibly good. And then all of a sudden, you jumped early on the forward-facing sonar. And I remember that one time you called and said, I found him, but you can't catch him. And you're like, no, you physically, literally can't catch him because I have stuff that you that wounded don't have. that wounded Matt's soul. By uh, the way, he's still scarred <laughs> from that conversation. No, but, but then John, you know, then he started the bass tank. I remember when you're sitting there talking about thinking of names for it for the for the business. Yeah. 
and how much yeah. that has grown in, in such a short amount of time. So thanks for jumping on, John. Greatly appreciate it. Congratulations. Thanks, Congratulations. Appreciate John. it. All right. That was John Sokup, and uh, we're going to we'll continue on for a minute or two. You got time? Oh, yeah. You got time? All right. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting comment here, and I want to get into this. Joseph Sharp said, Matt, how long is too long, meaning elites is the goal, obviously. How many years will you give it a shot before you hang up the elite chase? Listen, I've thought about this, and I've, I've talked about this, but uh, – I, I struggle between like uh, moving forward because I started this in 2019, like fishing seriously, right? Like I'd done the Bass Nation, but AFCO actually did the Bass Boot Camp where I fished the two divisions of the Toyotas. That I fished the Opens in 15 just to see what it was like because I wanted to be able to talk about it from the media side. of got my butt kicked. Um, and so I, you know, I had a good year that year. I qualified for the FLW Tour. I almost won the Toyota Championship. Then I roll into the Opens the next year. Top 20 at Louisville, and I'm on the Elite Series. I roll into Grand last year in the overall. Uh, I, I catch him there. I finish sixth overall. I'm less than 100 points out of the Elite Series. Uh, I'm going to keep trying as long as it's financially feasible for me, and it's pushing me to the absolute brink and limit mm-hmm. this year by not cashing checks. But it would be different, in my opinion, if I was tanking. You know, out of the last 23 Opens, I finished in the hot, top half 21 times. I finished 121st in one event this year, and that was, you know, right at 50%. But in, once I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't think that it 100% is going to happen and that I have the ability to do it, and you shouldn't be out there if you don't think you have the ability to do it fishing, all of them, yeah, you can if you think you can win one or something. That's when I'll hang it up. But until then, I, I mean, my goal is to make the Elite Series and, and be an, an Elite Series angler and have the best podcast out there. That's I, what I want to do. I think you can do it. I think you could do it next year. I mean, two years ago, you finished sixth in the overall. Is that correct? Yeah. Sixth. And they didn't work down the list back then. They went down the divisional, so it was different than this year. Um, you would have qualified right there. So I absolutely have faith. I know you can do I mean, it'd be different if it was 150th to 200th every tournament. I I know that there are people out there that do not really realize how tough this uphill battle is. Um, I had a conversation with, uh, I'll I'll throw him under the bus, John Beckwith, Falcons, John Mm -hmm. Beckwith. And he was congratulating me. And he was being honest. John's John's an older gentleman, for you people that don't know him. But John was like, I got to tell you, there were moments through the last few years where I would just shake my head. Mm-hmm. And and he said, dude, you are the definition of true grit because you would just get back up and get in the saddle like it never happened. But he said, honestly, I was kind of like your wife. I was shaking my head. And, uh, you know, I know John realizes how tough it is, but also John's got a great relationship, obviously, with Jason Christie. And he just looks at that result and thinks that, you know, that one percenter mentality just mm-hmm. shows up and like, guys but it's it's rare and it's not me it's it's hard for me to achieve that um but i did keep grinding and glad yeah. to be there dude you can do the same thing no I, and, and i believe one of the things that that i'm going to miss is i believe that that rooming with you over the last two years uh as someone that has, has been there for 20 years and throw andrew in there too i mean he's yeah. a he's yeah. a hundreds of thousands of dollars he's fishing the Bassmaster classic he's won a tour event yep. he's won a toyota championship yeah he's just kind of gotten the short end of the stick the last couple of years um and 
you know, he doesn't talk about how it goes down every single event, but I mean, he's had fish on to be right there as well. 100%. Uh, but I think that it has shortened the learning curve tremendously. I also think because of covering the elite series and the FLW tour and traveling with them, my, my learning curve was already cut a lot shorter because a lot of the, a lot of the noise is in the traveling and mm-hmm. in the arrangements and all that. But as far as on the water and, and trusting your gut and, and things like that, you've been incredibly helpful because I've, I've come to you a lot of the time and say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's exactly the opposite of what I think. You're like, dude, you need to put that, you need to go for it. And then other times you're like, you need to stick with your strengths. But it's just interesting that yep. your advice typically revolves around my wheelhouse. Yes. And staying with what your wheelhouse is, even though our wheelhouses are exact opposites. I, I remember at Rayburn, just this last week, you were kind of questioning what you were doing in practice. And I was like, 100%, you stay with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. There was a 30-pound bag caught doing what you were doing. Yeah. And, and, and at Hartwell, right. well, here's the exact opposite at Hartwell. You know, like I said, we're trying to do, and I came to you in practice and I said, 100%, I am doing what needs to be done to win the tournament. I am catching the fish to win the tournament and here's how I'm doing it. Yep. And you said, that's cool. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, exactly. That's like verbatim, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. You're talking about in practice? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely did. I wanted to stay with uh, my wheelhouse and allow, you know. Right. Just the same as you wanted to stay with So, ironically, that hard-headedness. Led to a hundred and first place finish for you there, yep. but is the only reason you finished sixteenth at Sam Rayburn because you kept that mentality. You were true to yourself, and you said, "I'm going to do it power fishing in the grass shallow with a hybrid hunter because that's what I came here to do." And I'm not going to go out and drop shot. I'm not going to chase him. Well, on the I, I, I did end up drop shot in a Hartwell. I would say the majority of the event, um, even on day two, I had to put down my baits pretty quick. But you know, even after it happened. If I would have stayed with what I was doing, we know that Cranford called him the exact way I wanted to, which was a jerk bait. So mm-hmm. who knows? But um, I, I stayed in that. But absolutely, you need to stay with what you're comfortable with and in your wheelhouse. 100%. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but, you know. Numbers-wise, uh, let's just go through uh, the actual qualifiers then, and we'll wrap this thing up. Okay. Uh, we talked about going into the year. We were, also, we were very... Uh, adamant if you look at the statistics uh you're basically afforded 50 points in each division you have to have uh basically three top 17 finishes to guarantee yourself in you actually won uh with a fairly low total to win yes in the central extremely low total extremely low total um i don't know if it was because of the fisheries i don't know if it's because people did it just didn't catch them that had been up in the points. I don't know the answer to that, but that was the lowest points in the central division in any division of bass that we've seen in a while. Yeah. It took a 17th place average, a 19th place average and a 21st place average to finish in the top three in each division. Uh, anglers in the centrals, Bradley Hallman, Kyle Norsetter, who fished his way in on the final day and Logan Latuso, who also fished his way in on the final day. Uh, first man out there, unfortunately, James Niggemeyer, um, I mean, he'll be fine. He'll make, he's kind of like you. He'll make whatever he wants to in a couple of years. He's just going to have to grind it. Yeah, out. I know. I visited with him and Nick LeBrun, and it was you know there at the end of day two, and we're all yeah, going through, we're all going through the same stuff. Uh, Jimmy Washam, Nick LeBrun, James Nigemeyer, <laughs> some talented guys there that that didn't get in this year uh, in the. Southern Open, Brian New actually won the points with 574, which means it went down to fourth in that division, which would be Bryant Smith, uh, Coop Gallant. Very impressive there. Had him on the show before. Uh, we'll probably have him on again a lot. And then Joey Sifuentes, 
uh, Cowboy had on the Elite Series. He had 536 points lowest total to make the Elites this year. But also, like I said, it went down to four with Brian Brian New, number yep. one. Super happy for Joey, too. Brian New's good. He's one of the one percenters. I was thinking that when you said his name, I was like, yep, there's one that makes it look easy. He can freak show. He, he did it. I mean, he's he can a do it all. He can stay steady. He can freak show. He can do everything. Uh, in the Northern Division, once again, second consecutive year that it took 549 points to qualify. Uh, Alex Weatherall won that with 572 points. Don't know anything about Alex. Uh, Koya Fujita, finesse expert. Uh, talked about him on the show a little bit yesterday, but a Japanese angler uh, mm-hmm. that I think is going to take the Elite Series by storm when conditions are in his favor. Very well. Very well, Will. And then Keith Poche uh, was a double qualifier. He finished third in that division, 549 points. I did see him on day two. Windy as heck out there going no. under the bridge on yeah. Raybird. Just you know, rrr, you know, rrr, rrr, rrr. It looks like the boat's about to capsize <laughs> at any moment, and he just gives me the old hi and just rrr, keeps plugging. Yeah. Uh, and then in the opens overall, this is where things got interesting. So Keith Poche, double qualified. He won the points, averaged 33rd place, finished through all nine to win it. Incredible season. Uh, Coop Gallant. Uh, Incredible season. He won fourteen thirty seven. He finished. Uh, Cole Sands ends up in third. He qualifies through the overall. David Gaston ends up in fourth. He qualifies through the overall. Kenta Kimura, Elite Series Pro, had an incredible year, too, on the Open. Incredible Opens. year. He just fishes, 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 fishes. He finished in fifth, so then that is basically considered a double qualifier, so it drops down to sixth, which would which would be John Sokup, uh, with 1386. I believe that was a 46th place average through all nine events. Um, did Logan Parks get in in one of them? I thought maybe he did. Sookup was the last on the overall. Yeah, so I think just out is Logan Park, Shane Lineberger. You ended up finishing ninth in the overall, uh, and I ended up finishing 18th in the overall out of the 88 that originally started. Count that overall again. Is Logan Park's in or out? Was he the first guy out? I think so. I thought he was in for some reason. I did too. Here, we'll look this up real quick here. Uh, For some reason, I mean, I know. That's what I thought too. Um, hold on. Advance. I feel bad because we were we were so back to back on the last ones. We didn't get to come in and do the uh, hard. No, Cole Sands is in. Logan Parks is not. Cole Sands and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, three, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Weatherall, Sheeta, Boucher, Sands. It's rough Gallant, being the first guy out, man. Yeah, rough. Yep. So. What else you got? We didn't get to do the Hartwell. We didn't get to do the replay because we were on the road 24-7. And uh, you and I tried to get in here. We tried to uh, schedule it. And then it didn't work out and it didn't work out. So, dude, it was a top 10 for you. It I, was. I feel it, like we got ro- you got robbed from your uh, – It's all good. I Hopefully a lot of people got to watch it. My goal was to get on the FS1 for, for at least one of the shows. And that, and that happened. Yeah. Um, went in with a legit chance to win less than uh, – less than three pounds out of second and i knew the largemouth probably wouldn't last all three days which they didn't um i was just able to fish my strengths like i said i went i went right back and and i locked a drop shot in my hand and had a top water on the front deck in case it came out and just grinded 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 fished 100 spots a day really liked that lake i've always liked that lake 
and just caught them all running spots and dropping a drop shot on spotted bass and casting to them. I mean, it's really that simple. There's yeah. not a lot of, uh, I mean, it was, it was a pretty intricate pattern because you had to, I was looking for roaming fish that were up on Hartwell that were chasing bait, that were groups of bigger fish that weren't related to the cane, that were related to the cane brush and timber drops, but weren't on them because the pressure had pushed them off. Mm-hmm. And then the fish that were there, that lived there, the resident fish were getting pressured. So they were spread out and they weren't willing to bite. Yep. So I was running a hundred spots that looked all the same every day. And I was looking for fresh groups of, of fish that hadn't been pressured. You could tell they'd roam in three or four and 18 to 25 foot. And you just have to put it on 30 groups and they would either disperse. They'd go down and look at it. And the fresh ones that had just moved up that were feeding on those little shad would go dunk and you reel into them. And that was, I mean, that was it. It's a great showing. What what stuck out to me for you at that event was your confidence coming in was higher than anything I've seen in two years, and your confidence throughout the practice and event stayed and never wavered. Um, yeah, I, I know you got it figured out. I know that you had a lot of things where you had past experiences there where you felt like you were confident. I don't know that you really – the confidence itself is so powerful, so powerful. So powerful. Um, there's there's as much power in that as there is power in actually knowing some of the things that you know on how to catch those fish. Just the belief. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It was, it was a phenomenal finish. Well, I, mean, I know you kicked all of our butts. I mean, I look back at, and, and I don't know why. So I grew up in central Illinois, black and blue jig, square bill, that's it. I come to Oklahoma, not exactly the finesse capital of the world, no. doesn't really have an incredible population of spotted bass that play in tournaments right and i look back at you know my four kind of major triple a tournaments at toyota championship i weighed in a three and a half four pound spot and a small mouth large mouth mix neely henry where i finished 11th in the open in 2020 large mouth spotted bass mix yeah uh lake norman where i had a, a top 25 finish there large mouth small mouth mix on that fishery targeted the spots lake hartwell here large mouth small mouth mix targeted the spots i even weighed in a spot on rayburn but there's something about that later in the year finesse bite move and i i honestly think it was because for 10 or 15 years i was covering the Bassmaster elite series in the flw tour well their seasons are march through august march through september so my time to fish then would be september october november and december when most people are in the deer stands when the fishing is at the toughest so i learned kind of how to target those. And then, you know, you obviously like the spots with, with the way I like to finesse fish. They throw in table rock. I mean, good finishes on table rock there, all, all mixed bags. So mixed bag fisheries, for some reason, I get and understand. And I mean, I've basically spotted bass fished at this tournament at Rayburn. Right, you did. Yeah, same type of pattern, but they just are largemouth that relate the same. Dude, you've got it in you. Part of me, you know... We're super excited to have qualified for the elites, but there was there's a sad part to it too, um, with you and Andrew and not being there and in the house and like leaving and being you know the separation of that part is is it's real too. You know that's feelings that I had. You know the other night when we'd all went to dinner and mm-hmm. stuff, and and there's some of that involved in the feelings of qualifying as well. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm in the process of working on getting things together those deposits are due in a in a couple weeks and and uh uh i'm already stressed out about it there but i think i also learned a lot uh mentally 
yeah. going into next year. And who knows? Like I said, the Opens are such a weird deal. You could roll into the first one and finish 120th in your so far behind the eight ball. Yep. Or you can roll into the first one and finish 10th and you're way ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, and next year is going to be a completely different animal. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that there's going to probably be a number of professional anglers from the MLF Invitationals and yep. Yep. Uh, potentially the Bass Pro Tour that are going to kind of come over and dabble in the Opens. There's not a conflict of schedules until kind of midway through the year. And I think those guys then who are having a bad Opens year will we'll stay with the either the Invitationals or the BPT. Yep. But you're going to have some animals, dude. You're gonna have some guys. You're gonna have some guys like the Jacob Perazics and the Christies and the Hackneys that have come some, over. Gonna, you got some one percenters coming. That's yeah, what some one percenters coming. But if you want to do this and you want this, you're gonna have to fish against the one percenters all the time. Hundred percent. And I have a one up because I just spent twenty four tournaments out of the last three years grinding in two hundred plus boat tournaments in the opens, and those guys haven't been doing that. Yeah, they haven't had the co anglers. They haven't had the 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 grind on that so i'm gonna Absolutely. have to use that to my advantage with the mentality and no i don't care who the name is i just have to go out catch my weight do what i do and apply my game plan let me tell you i don't care how big of a game changer you are if you spent four or five six years away from tournaments of having co-anglers in the back of your boat it's an adjustment and sometimes it's at the wrong time that you realize yeah. that hey i'm not that good at this anymore <laughs> Listen, I want to say something about the co-anglers you always talk about, and you talk about how there's good, but then like there's also bad. I have had probably um, the greatest string you of have. co-anglers you this have. year, um, and and it's been throughout the in- entire season. Uh, whether it's guys who are rooting for me, but I've gotten this weird mixture of co-anglers who get it. Yeah, I have incredibly to. talented. I have to. Uh, cash checks easily, stay out of the way, genuinely root for you. Uh, and bizarrely, out of the nine tournaments, I think uh, in six of them, I had co-anglers that finished in the top ten, whether it was day one or day two with me. And I had three leaders after the day of co-anglers who had the heaviest bag of the 180 to 225 boat tournament came out of the back of my boat, which at first... Um, I, I looked at that as a problem because I'm leaving a lot of fish on the table, obviously. But then I looked at how those co-anglers caught them and none of them, I wouldn't have caught any of those fish Yeah, this year at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were fish that... They teach you what you're missing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great lesson to learn. It is. So. Dude, I'm all for them too. I mean, if you remember back to the very first tournament of the year, day two, I draw the tournament leader co-angler and i said he was from there i said dude you got some digits you want to fish because he wanted to fish offshore grass and that's not what i was doing Mm -hmm. and i said i will give you the first three hours of the day you bring three or four places you want to hit we'll go hit them and uh he won the tournament and i gave him that opportunity and he he freaking opened it wide open he'd already done most of the work the day before but um i only had one bad all all year long um but one bad can just leave that taste in your mouth, you know. That one, one out of listen, they have to put up with more than one bad. If you fish, if you're a conger and you're fishing all nine opens, you probably put up with more than one bad boater. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. Um, here's something that I'm throwing around, and this is kind of a discussion piece. Uh, 
when you were on the Elite Series the first time, yeah. You you ran the Bassone wrap and all Mark yeah. Jeffreyed out. Jeffrey's you had the yep. jer- there's a jersey right there for yeah. the Bassone. Yeah. Uh, and over the last couple of years, I feel like a lot of BTL listeners have kind of followed your career through your YouTube, through the updates, mm-hmm. uh, through our show deals. And what I'm trying to figure out is a way because every inch of so like every inch of jersey is valuable. That's that's your real estate. It, uh, there is nothing on there that does not benefit you. You get a very limited amount of fabric for a lot of different things. I remember a couple years ago, KVD did a deal where he had like his whole rap was like fans that had sent in pictures and then they turned it into this weird thing. So here's what, here's what I'm, I'm trying to spitball away and I don't know how to do it is to get a very small BTL logo on your jersey and then listeners send in pictures, and then we tint it green. And then all those listeners who have been with you for your journey on BTL and through this for the last three years of your opens, yeah. you know, there's a little centimeter picture of them that ends up in a BTL. And I don't know whether it'd be like on a deal where you send your picture in for 25 bucks and it gets it. So then when it all combines, I don't know how. But I'd love to be able to figure out some way that the listeners could be a part. Maybe it's just something on your truck. Yeah, a BTL sticker on your truck. The boat's fine. Or a BTL sticker on your boat. Yeah, a BTL sticker on your boat. Yeah, uh, with fans that that put it in, and then we have a graphics designer put the little pictures of all the BTL fans that send their pictures in there, and then when they see your boat, they know that their picture is somewhere on your boat. Doesn't even have to be on the jersey. You cool with the little on the boat? Yeah, and we'll figure out a yeah, absolutely way to do it. I'm talking about like just I know what you're talking about, like that size. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I you can pit, you know, 60, yeah. 75 guys on there. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a cool idea. I know when Kevin did it, it was cool because I remember people would come by and be like, hey, there's my picture on Kevin Van Dam's boat. Yeah, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Really cool idea. I don't remember Van Dam doing that. I guess that's part of you working the media all the time, in the know, 24-7. Yeah, all right. Um, thank you. For the honesty, thank you for the time. Throughout the entire year, the highs, the lows, uh, it'll all be out on your YouTube channel within the coming weeks. Uh, Bradley Hallman Fishing on YouTube. Uh, and then I'm assuming whenever you have any major announcements or anything that's coming down the pipe, like, I mean, I got to be your first call now because now you're, you're an Elite Series Pro. I yeah. kind of need the scoop on that coming down. So I expect those calls, Bradley, <laughs> the insiders. as, as hey, you sign. I have a question. Yes. People keep saying, sorry, we're going to miss you next year on the uh, Pick'em, Andrew's Pick'em. Is there some rule that says that I can't pick <sighs> anglers because I'm on the Elite Series? Yeah, well, I don't know if you could be on the show live because we give away give up so much information. It's public. Yeah. I don't know. Let's right, cross that bridge. When we're going we to have to call Chris Bowes on that one. Cross that bridge. That would be cool, there. wouldn't it? Have, it would. Have an elite series angler on there. I'm terrible at it. I'm the worst on the show. Well, no, I've just gone downhill over the last two years. <laughs> Todd, you guys don't realize how much Todd has gotten in Matt's head about this thing. I mean, he just tortures Matt about it every time he sees him. He, rem- I mean, the first conversation out of his mouth to Matt is, is that Pick'em show. <laughs> well, this is what got in my head at Rayburn. On day, so he's there, and we're just hanging out in practice. And I'm like, I've got five spinning rods rigged, and he's like, no, no, You'll never catch him like that. Nope, never been done. Never been done in the history of Rayburn. Not on the drop shot. Not gonna happen. You know what's gonna happen? Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna hook it, and you're gonna lose it. It's like one in ten. 
And I'm like, whatever. So I go out and I tell my co-angler before I pick up the drop shot. I've got it like, bu- like heavy, right? 14 pound test, seven, four medium heavy. I went with a bigger hook. The, I showed you the hook that the I made. The Rayburn drop shot. The really. Rayburn drop shot. And the first day, like I've got four good ones and I go to my very first pile at like 11 and I pitch in there numerous times. Catch a 13 incher. So it's not like the first pitch. So now I'm to the finesse portion of the brush pile. And I, I hook a Kong. I, I hook a big a Kong. And I get it stuck in the brush pile in 25 foot. And I'm telling my co-angler, he's like, oh, well, it looks like a big fish. And I'm like, it's a monster. <laughs> and I'm calm. And then all of a sudden, it's just dead weight, and I don't feel anything. And I'm like, oh, he's pinned in the brush. And then I realize, no, he's out of the brush. That's just the fish. That's straight weight. Oh. And so I, I troll him out, and I look around. I know there's nothing else there. He's in 30 foot of water. He's away. She is in 30 foot of water away from the brush. Like, I got her. And she comes up and jumps. I've weighed in a 9-4 in the club days. It's on replicas on my wall, right? Yep. And I've weighed in numerous eights. This was the biggest fish I've ever hooked in a tournament. Wow. You know, a lot of those big-headed seven-pounders, big giant head looks like a 12-pounder, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, body yeah. six yeah. and a half. Yeah. This was a small-headed, bug-eyed, pot-bellied fish. <laughs> bug-eyed. And it was a monster. That's incredible. My co-angler goes, oh, my word. He said, that's the biggest fish I've seeded Rayburn in five years. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I've got it out of the brush. I bought the drop shot. I'm fighting it. And I've you, made it through the jump, and I'm like, it's mine. Thinking, so he goes, what do you want me to do? This is where good co-angler. Are you thinking, Castledine, I'm about to show you a I'm fish. not thinking it. I'm saying it. <laughs> are you really? I'm saying, I'm naming this sucker Todd on stage. <laughs> I'm saying, let me show everybody old Todd that came on the drop shot. I don't care that I'm giving it away. Conger goes, what do you want me to do? I said, clear all the rods off this side. He takes my rods, clears it. I mean, because there's oh, oh, oh. I mean, I can't reel it in, right? I'm just going to tire it out. He moves his rods. He rolls his sleeves up. I said, when it comes by, I said, I'm going to have you grab because he knows what he's doing. I said, grab it with two hands like a five-gallon bucket and just boat flop it. And he goes, okay. And it's not really going nuts. It's just, oh, I mean, it knows it's hooked. Only thing that worries me is when it jumped, it jumped with its mouth closed. It did one of those whale whale jumps. Mm-hmm. Wah, boo. It wasn't a wah, 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 wah. Right. Like the wah, 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 wah is when you see the hooks in there and you know you've got them and they know they're hooked. Mouth closed. So what's the whale jump? It's just where they come out and they go, wah, boo, down in the water. There's no shaking of the fish. The fish shoots out of the water on a 45-degree angle, is completely out of the water, and then crashes down. Okay. There's none of the open, the I'm, Bassmaster logo is the, is the other type of jump. Gotcha. Whale jump versus, a, there's not, it was not a Bassmaster logo jump. It was a whale jump. And I've got it, and I've got it, and I probably had it on for 45 seconds now, out of the brush, through the jump. I'm like, mine. Dude, I've got, I'm, doing, I'm already doing the doing math. The math like, yeah. I've got uh, 20 pounds now. Yeah. And it's like 11. And it just pulls off. That sounds just like my story. Identical to my story like at Hartwell. For no reason whatsoever. That's exactly what I mean. Not on the jump, not on a run, Same not thing. on a head shake. It's just, I mean, and I'm not babying it because I learned on Hartwell. I had a conversation with Miles Berghoff. He said, hey, I listened to the show that you did with, I talked about it with Cassadon. I've talked about it with you about losing fish. He goes, you need to go and jack them in practice. He goes, find some fish that aren't what you're going to catch in practice. He goes, and just lean on them. He said, get as much confidence as you can. Use the exact hook, rod, reel, bait, everything. And I did it. And I was jacking them on nine-pound tests. Boat flipping two-and-a-half-pound spots. Got the confidence, top-tended. So I did the same thing, right? 
And I mean, I, I mean, I got it. I've got it. And it just pulled off and my conger goes, oh no. And I said, well, maybe the worm, maybe if this mouth shut worms disintegrated and gone. So that wasn't an issue. Hooks super sharp. Nothing's wrong with it. Not opened up. Perfect. Only thing I can think of is when that fish jumped with its mouth shut, those big fish, hard lips, hard mouths, they grab onto baits a lot. And I either had them hooked funny or he was just grabbing onto that thing and just had the hook point in. And when he went down, he finally opened his mouth and did a head shake thing. Yep. And that hook point pulled out. Yep. I never actually was able to penetrate it because he was clamped down on it that whole time he had his mouth shut. May very well be. May very well be. It is the exact same scenario that I lost my best fish at Hartwell with. And same thing. I'm like you. Jump twice, come down, big one. I'm like already doing the math in my head. Drop shot fish don't generally come off like that. Like on the steady pull after you've had them on that long. It's a, it's a heartbreak. No, that's when you've got them. That's when you got them. I know. That's why I was doing the math as well. Um, I don't know, man. Like I said. I'm not complaining. I mean, I did nothing wrong. I, it did not. It, yeah, it impacted the rest of my day, but it would have been different if I had tried to horse them or broken them off or had. I mean, I did nothing wrong. It just came out. I would just like to have seen Todd on stage, the fish Todd. That would have been cool. But but here's the deal. We talked about the co-angler stuff. I started on his fish the first morning. Yeah, you did. He said, I got a morning bite. I said, I don't. We rolled there. I caught a couple threes out of there. Yep. Um, and then, you know, that one lost. And he said, dude, he said, I've been in a lot of boats. I've never felt sick to my stomach when a guy loses one. I feel sick to my stomach now. <laughs> said, dang. <laughs> so then we rolled to the very next pile, and he catches a five out of it. Wow. He ended up winning the Angler of the Year in the Centrals. Good dude. Good dude. All right, Brad, you got anything else? I am done. Done. Let's cue the outro music. Tomorrow, can't really announce who the guest is yet. Most likely today or early tomorrow, you will understand why. But it is a, a, a pretty significant announcement in the uh, in the world of professional bass fishing. I have a suggestion, too, after we get off air. Someone who I visited with last night that would like to comment on the new announcement that is coming if it drops. Okay. We can do that. Uh, really good listener-viewer interaction on today's show. Uh, a lot of people on to, to wish Bradley and John uh, congratulations. So. Yeah, uh, and thank you everybody for following along, all the support, all the BTL listeners, dude. I am super, super, super appreciative, just as mad as we both are of uh, you guys and all the support that you give us. It's It's been incredible. You called it. Two-hour show. Yep. Figured it was going to be a long one. All right. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. We're out. <laughs>